We'll be reading from the first verse to the 17th verse. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of God. I became a Christian uh, in high school. I was uh, 16, and uh, there was a, a number of us who were trying to begin to live a Christian faith at our public high school in Fairfax County. So one of the ways we had a little time between first and second period where there was like a 15-minute break. It was sort of, this was the 70s, so sort of like a time for you to meditate, get at peace with yourself. So we had a little devotional time in the lobby of the uh, theater area, and um you just invite kids to come and have a little, you know, 15-minute, 10-minute Bible study. And a number of those of us um, were just kind of forming a little group of fellowship and support. And we, at lunchtime, at, this was the day when not A, B, C, D, lunch, everybody just, the bell rang and everybody just scattered and grabbed lunch wherever uh, on campus. And we would often, if the weather was decent, we would sit outside on the front lawn there and uh, just kind of grab our bag lunches and eat together or grab something from the cafeteria and eat together there. And somewhere in my senior year, so it was the middle of my junior year that I became a, a Christian, in my senior year, we would have this daily time together. And I don't know how it started, but somebody would just threw out this, so, so how is the Christian life like and they would just throw out just some object, how it was like a horse or how is it like a bucket. And somebody would just try to come up with some metaphor 
for how it was like this. Well, you know, all of a sudden this thing took on a life of its own. I don't know how long it went on, but for a relatively extended period of time, it became this sort of big game as, as to could you come up with something that you couldn't compare the Christian life to where it was so lame. And, you know, of course, people, little Pharisees appeared and like, well, how is it like a black capped chickadee? Not like a bird, like how, you know, how it was weird, got really weird all of a sudden. But the other thing we noticed, it was very interesting dynamic of this, is that the power of of just the simple story, all of a sudden, rather than just the eight or ten of us who were eating, over about the next month, we began to have 30, 40, 50 kids just around the edges because the power of this these little stories, these, I mean, we were, were 16, it was pretty pathetic, our little, you know, trying. But even that, people began to Get in, get into this. And they'd begin to throw in from the sides as we were doing this. Well, how about this? What about that? How does this work? And I remember to this day, you know, our evangelistic, like going around with little tracks trying to say, you know, have you heard about the four spiritual laws was never very effective for us. But when we stood and just told little stories, people came. And I think about this in the context, obviously, of Matthew 13. I love how Matthew 13 starts. Just look at this for a minute. If you haven't read this, it's just, it's just great. The same day Jesus went out of his house and sat down by the water. I mean, what a, I mean, that's great. He came out of his house. Like, he probably lived with James and John, right, in Capernaum. We know his hometown was Capernaum. He probably, it's like the bachelor pad of Capernaum, probably. We don't know that James and John were married. We know that Peter was married and others, but that he had a room there probably. It's right by that little town of Capernaum is still, you have the ruins of it, and it's right on the Lake of Galilee. So here he is. He just comes out of his house one day and sits down by the water, and he, they knew he was going to tell stories. They knew he was going to teach. This is the beginning. He'd already told some parables, but this is the beginning, Matthew 13, of an extended time of just these little stories, these parables that he told. And that's what you ask, like, well, how did Jesus teach? Many people would say, would associate him with parables, these stories. And so we're going to look at this parable, what they call the parable of the sower, but we're also just going to look at parables and what they are and what they aren't because the second half of what Bob read always confused me. Like, you're going to hear and not hear and see and not see. And I think it's important that we understand the purpose of parables. If you look on a map in Capernaum, where it is, you can see on any map of the Lake of Galilee, there's a little cove that's kind of a cutout. And where they talk about the hill, they're pretty sure he, or they, surmised that he did the Sermon on the Mount on in Capernaum. They're right there together. So he taught a lot right around his, his home area. And this little cove, they would have had their fishing boats just pulled up on the beach. These are fishermen, right? And so they he pulls the boat out into the little cove because there's so many people on the beach, you can't see them or hear them. And if you look at the geography of that, it kind of goes up on the side. It's a little amphitheater. So we just sort of, somebody takes out of the boat and just pulls out into the water so people can't crowd up in his face. And he begins to speak. And it's actually, they say, you can actually hear pretty well because of the amphitheater effect in there. And he begins to teach. So we've, remember, we've been looking at in Matthew, you've got to look at who, to whom he is speaking. It doesn't say whether he's speaking to Pharisees, those who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, have already decided. Is he speaking to disciples, those who are following him and say, yes, you're the Messiah, or the crowd, those who say, 
He might be the Messiah. We don't know. So it's very clear here. Verse 2, great crowds gathered around him. So these are the people saying, maybe. We don't know. But he's interesting to watch. We've seen these miracles. You never know what's going to happen when Jesus is around, you know. Internet slow in that period of time, and so people are looking for entertainment. And so it is. You, you had people coming just to see what was going to happen. And so he gets in the boat, and he sits down. That's the that's what a teacher does. Teachers and, and rabbis, or they, they sit in a teaching position. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. And then we have the parable of what we call the parable of the sower. So what Bob read Sower goes out to sow, okay, it's just taking seed and just throwing it, right? Throws some along a path, just like on the road, and the birds get it. Throws some in just kind of a little bit of soil. It grows quickly, and then it's withered by the sun. There's no root, no staying power. Throws others over on the uh, into the weeds and the brambles, and you don't see any fruit from that. And some he throws in the good ground, and um, and it grows, and there's lots of yield for it, okay? That's it. Ba-dum. Sermon's over. Like merciful. Jesus was the best preacher ever because people always like, that's it. That's it. That's the, that's the story. There's not much to that, frankly. I mean, I think when, when it's over and then he says this, this little puzzling that you have ears to hear here. So I'm not sure what the crowds thought. What do you think? First thing I'm thinking is when they leave, like that's a really bad farmer. Seriously, I mean, if I'm, I, you know, I've done, a, I, I do kind of backyard gardening. You know, if the seed spills on my walkway, I know it's not going to grow. I, I, I mean, that's a, that's a terrible story in terms of teaching you anything, right? What? And obviously the disciples thought the same thing, right? Because the next thing, they come and they say, what? What? Why are you, you have this big crowd of people. We are trying to put a movement together here. We are trying to get things accomplished. And you tell them some, uh, they didn't use this word, but kind of lame story about just people throwing seeds and say, if you got ears to hear, let them hear. Why do you do this? Why don't you stand up and say, I am the Messiah. I am God's son. I have come down from, wouldn't that be like more, like, really? And so Jesus answers and he says this. Again, talk about, ah, it just gets you frustrated. Because to you, disciples, it's been given to understand this. To non-disciples, it's not been given to understand it. What? What? We talk about Jesus as master communicator. Like, really, are you, are you hiring a minister or a preacher that says, look, I'm going to be sending the preaching out and everybody who can understand will and those who can't won't. And that'll be my sermons. Like, you'll be just as confused as the day you walked in and whatever. Like, or TED Talks, like the TED Talk that comes out. And at the end of the TED Talk, you're like, I have no idea what they said. Brilliant. So first thing to remember about parables going through a number of different parables here today, just this one, but we'll be going through others. So remember this, Jesus does not use parables to make his teaching more understandable to everyone. First point, remember this, we, we miss this all the time. Brilliant, tells little stories to get to, so everybody can understand the kingdom. No, no, he doesn't. 
parables do not make the kingdom more understandable to everyone. It's what it does. The parables are like a centrifuge. You know what a centrifuge is? Spins around, right? Very dense things go to the side and things that don't have a lot of density stay in the center. It separates. Parables are separators. They separate out hearts. How do you know the condition of someone's heart? That's what Jesus was interested in. What is your heart condition? Are you willing to follow me and believe? Because everybody, you know, people stand up, oh, you're a Christian, you believe. And they, they didn't call themselves Christians yet. But, you know, you're a follower of Christ. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. We saw this all the time in the Gospels. And it gets a little rough. John 6 is a perfect example. He's teaching on bread and eat my flesh. And says, everybody who'd been like, yeah, I'm a follower, like, that's too weird. I'm out of here. It was a centrifuge. He told this little story, and they're like, I'm out of here. Good. You can't understand what I'm talking about. And the disciples, what did they say? They said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. We don't understand it, but we want it. This is what parables do. I guarantee you, I hope I'm right in this because I hate to break my guarantees, but I guarantee you there were people on the hillside there, people listening, who said, wow, that was weird. I think it was great but I have no idea what he said. And they walked off and they were not changed at all. And there were some that said, I don't know what he said, but man, I want more of it. And Jesus is going, come on, come on. We'll we'll get it. And so the disciples come and say, could we understand? Because we don't know what you're talking about either. He says, okay, here's what it is. So I I won't go through all this because he's quoting Isaiah, but read through this with the eye to that the, the, the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom is given for those who are committed to Christ. If you're trying to understand the mysteries of the kingdom and the secrets of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is, and you haven't really fully committed, not intellectually, if you're not fully committed, it's just, it's going to be a mystery to you. It's not going to make any sense. And we live in a world, that's why the church is so confused, because the church, the visible church, those who name themselves as Christians, a lot of them just don't have any clue what the kingdom of God is like. And then we have the invisible church, those who truly are disciples, and they, like, we're trying to, hopefully we are trying to get it. And and it's, it's, it's hard. So, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you what it means. And so if you got your Bible open in verse 18, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. And he says, and we, many of us are familiar with his explanation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, hold on to that because we're going to come back to it. The evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. So that's the devil and it's that just on the path. So what's on the road, he just snatches it up. It doesn't take root. And he's really probably talking about maybe the Pharisees, people who have decided it's not Jesus. So he's like, uh, we throw it out there. They hear the words, but it's all, it's like, blah, 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 blah. Wah, 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 wah. That's all they hear. And they want to make arguments about it, and they want to find the loopholes in it. And he says, I throw it out there, but it's just, it's, it just doesn't matter. And then he talks about two other kinds of soil. This really should be called the parable of the soils, right? Because the sower, it's just... It's not really about the sower. It's really about the different soils. Um, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, uh, this is one who hears the word, re- immediately receives it with joy, but no roots. In other words, no staying power. Endures for a little while, but when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, 
he falls away. And then the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and he bears fruit and yields in case hundred, uh, maybe a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. So he explains it. My, as, as I read through the scripture, as I look at this parable and many other parables, I, I think of his explanation. And I think, okay, well, okay, that, that makes sense. I, I kind of get that now. He's talking about heart condition and soil. And on one level, the, the king of the universe, the creator of all, incarnate God, son of God, is sitting here trying to explain to humans even this basic concept. And I, I think, and we see this in many other of the parables, even when he explains it, the disciples go, uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I think I get I don't know if I get it. That's kind of how the disciples are. They're not. You look at how they live and what they do. Reminds me when um, Patrick, and I have his permission to share this, when he was in fifth grade, he uh, he was given trying to have a paper on, ex, uh, the paper assignment was uh, explain something to me. Take a few paragraphs and just, you know, as a paper to sort of give a point and explain it. And so you have to know Patrick to appreciate this. But, uh, you know, I'm like saying, okay, well, let's, you know, let's try to explain like, I don't know, some very, very basic concept. He says, no, dad, I, I want to take on quantum mechanics. I said, son, do you even know what quantum mechanics means? He goes, I, 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 I can do it. I can do it. And so he begins to write in two paragraphs, 12, right? He's trying to understand. I can't understand. I can't understand. I read about what quantum mechanics, if you don't know, is just, you know, it's like the study of subatomic particles, right? He got about a paragraph or two and he's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, son, like Einstein, like there's like 10 people in the world that can understand, like really get into quantum mechanics. And I, I think even he's trying to simplify, simplify. And I feel like it's it's sort of he, Jesus is telling a parable, taking the quantum mechanics analogy, and and he sort of says, "Okay, to you disciples, I'm going to explain what I was meaning by this little story." And so, really, what I was talking about is you know these quarks, which are these little bitty particles, and there's up quarks and down quarks and charmed quarks and all this stuff, and they form hadrons and then they form a particles. Get it? <laughs> I hear the words, uh, little things, right? They're really, really, he's trying to explain mysteries. He's trying to explain the nature of the kingdom. So, so let me finish talking about the sower just a little bit. And I want to try to make some application for us here. But if take nothing else away from this, okay, here's what I want you to see is that when Jesus teaches us the most important thing that we bring to the table in this is whether or not we're going to yield our hearts to become what the Bible refers to as, as ground that is willing to be made fertile so that when he plants the word in us, and we'll talk in a minute about what that means, but the thing of these parables and the thing of so much of Christianity if, if you want to know what is the core of Christianity, is it do I have a soft enough heart? Am I letting the word penetrate this heart? Because, see, the default position of man is we're, we're hard-hearted. 
we don't, we don't mean to be. It's not, but it's just our default position is we think we know. We're, we think we're smart. We, and we process it through our intellect and that's as far as it goes. And unfortunately, at least my intellect, it's like the seed on the ground. It just, it can't plant only in your intellect. You, if intellect's a part of it, but if that's all it is, we've missed something. So let me go through some scriptures and, uh, that I think point to this because I think Jesus gets at this over and over and over again. So the hard heart, the first heart that he talks about, the, the good seed, the seed is thrown, right? And back, I'm going back to verse nine. And we, the first thing we have is the hard heart. So you hear the word with your physical ears. There's no room for germination because you've already decided you know. So number one is this. If you've already decided you know, I don't care if it's you've already decided you know about things of the kingdom, like you have some faith, but you've already decided. You got your theology, you got everything in a box, and you're unteachable. And I think the word basically bounces off you because you already think you know. So the, the antidote for that is going to be, you know, a humble heart to say, Lord, I, I don't know. Lord, would you teach me? Would you show me? It's the beginning of grinding up that heart. Break up the fallow ground, it says in Hosea 10, 12. Take this heart or break up that fallow ground. Number two is a, the, the seed that's gone in that little thin soil. It's a shallow heart. So a shallow heart receives God's word and it begins to grow, but it's based on immediate enthusiasm. And this is what I call the retreat effect. Having been a youth pastor for uh, many years, our full-time youth pastors, we'd see it over and over again, which is you take 30 or 40 or 50 kids away for a weekend and a retreat. That won't be this weekend. This weekend coming up will be different. But you go away for a weekend and it's like, People get on a high, right? They're together in community. They're actually getting up in the morning and with the word of God, they're in positive community and fellowship and they begin to sense the things of God and it's exciting. And they're like, sometimes God moves in miraculous ways. and They're like so psyched up and they get back on Monday and they do exactly, they live exactly the way they have prior to going on the retreat and they fill themselves with all the junk of the world and they do everything the same. And then Tuesday, they're like, oh man, nothing really happened. It's terrible. Like, yeah, it's a it's a shallow root. Not this is this is a long walk in the same direction. That's Christianity. It is a long walk in the same direction. Just get yourself going and keep walking. You'll hit something one day. Just keep going. Number three, the thorny heart, right? And this is in some ways similar to number two, but it's this competition. I'm, and for our world, this is maybe the most prevalent thing is it's, you know, we, we have a thorny heart because there's so many things competing for the nutrients, right? The biggest nutrient you and I have is time. It is. And I mean, we got, we got little devices in our pockets screaming at us all day long. We've got, you can't even go to a restaurant anymore without just like TVs on the walls. Like you just, we live in a noisy world, don't we? And because of that, I'm not saying that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, but I think he's saying, and every generation has had to deal with riches and money and all that stuff because we, you know, we make livings and all that. But the question is, is what consumes us? So the, the thorny heart, the antidote for this is 
is single-mindedness. It's trying to say, be really, really honest. And I challenge you, like, do you need to take a fast from your screens for a while? I, I realize, you know, you have to work and all that. And I realize it's, you know, if you're flying the plane, you can't say, well, I'm taking a screen break. I can't look at the, uh, you know, device to see if, I, you know, there's anything in the clouds. But, you know, obviously use some common sense. But, but maybe we just are a little distracted, guys. And then the fourth art, which is one we want to focus on because it's the one we want to have. Let's read really carefully at this. As for the seed, this is verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, sixty and thirtyfold. And that's probably just a, a, you know, just a natural way that different people bear fruit in different amounts. But it's just that you have a fruitful life, that you're bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what we talked, what he talked about last week is a tree is known by its fruit. We discussed that last week. So let me just give you a few thoughts. I've had a lot of thoughts on this, um, that verse and this passage, but the, this word understands because it's back in, I said to look at it back in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the word there is, um, Sunesis is the noun. I won't try to pronounce the verb, but what it means is this understanding is related to two words, sin and, um, uh, sin and esis, which means to put something together. It's like a puzzle and you see the pieces of the puzzle and you don't know quite where the piece fits and all of a sudden you say, oh, there it is, you know, and you put it in. The question is, how does that happen? How does that happen? If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, has appeared to his disciples. And they're gathering around. They're, of course, stunned that he's alive. And he's cooking them fish. Maybe right there by the same place where he taught them. Could have been the same little cove there at their hometown. That would be kind of cool. He says, I'll I'll jump back to verse 44. Then he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Remember, we've been talking about how Matthew pieces together the Old Testament. Old and New Testament come together. And he says, look, I've been trying to tell you, and here's the fulfillment. I'm, I'm flesh and bone. I'm, I'm back again, right? He says, I'm not just a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the human body here, just a resurrected body. And so he says, in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms have been fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand Sinesis, the scripture. How did that happen? He opened their minds to understand it. Please open to first, this other verse we'll look at, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 and 14. So Jesus opens their minds and they have, they piece it together. They put the puzzle pieces together of what's happening. 
we live in this um, world, rationalistic world, where we 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 feel like the we, intellectually we have to grasp it, and if we don't grasp it intellectually, it's not true. And this is really dangerous. And it's not that we set our intellects aside and say, "Why well, you know, I'm setting my mind aside." It's just that can't be the final arbiter. Listen to what Paul writes. 2, 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is tricky. Because you say, well, what you say, I can't understand it. Not without faith. Now your mind plays in and we have been given tremendous gifts to be able to understand and grasp things. But if we think we're going to come with our human wisdom and intellectually grasp these truths, we're fooling ourselves. Is that Jesus is trying to explain even the most simple of concepts. And it's kind of like quantum mechanics to a 12 year old. And yet, and yet, you, I, I know you all probably had this experience, but I'm going to close with this. There's a song that uh, by a sort of an obscure Christian artist that I liked back in the 80s, and uh, he had a few things that got some airplay, but most things nobody's ever heard of. And there's an obscure song on this obscure album, and it was called Man of Steel, and it was kind of about a person who lives with kind of joy and pain, at the same time, and he balances his life. And I, I was always like, I love that song. I don't know why. I don't really understand what he's talking about. Sort of was Dylan-esque in his presentation. It was sort of poetry. and But it was just, I don't know, it really grabbed me and whatever. And about the second year, so maybe 10, 15 years later, maybe longer, I was in my third or fourth year of being uh, a pastoring here. And within a few days period of time, I did a funeral and a wedding, and like a baptism, and went to some of the birth of a new child, and all within a very short period. And I, at some point, I re-listened to that song sometime after that, and it was like, bam! Oh! And if you heard the song, like, you, you might get it right off the bat, but it was like, I didn't get it! And then somehow walking in it, I was like, he's talking about pastoring. And now as I reread the lyrics, it's like, boom, I'm an idiot. How could I have not seen that? It's all through the lyrics. It's it's exactly what it's about. But it put the pieces together, and and it was because I, I walked in it. I actually walked the road, and I sat the same day with crying with somebody who was in pain and dying and then going with somebody who was getting married or having a baby and the joy. And it was like, I get it. So here's the takeaway. And we'll close. I want to close with this. It says faith comes in Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith just doesn't come by having the word of God read to you, you've got to hear it. And not this is, he's not talking about it just hitting your ears. Lots of people heard God speak about his kingdom and they didn't get it. This is the kind of hearing that's processed differently.
You're never going to understand unless you've taken that leap of faith, unless you walk in the way and say, Lord, I believe. Faith precedes understanding. I wish it wasn't so. You're not going to read an apologetics book and make an intellectual thing and walk into the kingdom. It's there's without faith. It's not that you have to kill your intellect. And I'm not trying to say you do because it, it makes sense. It, it does make sense, but not in human terms. You can hear all kinds of arguments in your life of, well, God's a cruel guy who's kill his own son and put him on the cross. And, and yeah, it's, I can't believe in a God like that. That's exactly what, what he wrote in first Corinthians two. Remember that folly he was talking about? It's not the, you know, the folly he was talking about about three verses earlier in first Corinthians two, he says the cross is folly to those who don't believe. Paul affirms that view. He says, that's right. It's absolutely crazy that God would kill his own son for you. It is. It is crazy talk. And for those of us who believe it is the power of God to salvation, there's nothing more precious and more mysterious and unbelievably ununderstandable. But I don't want to be without it. I don't know about you. So first thing, faith precedes understanding. Second, submission. Read Also, obedience, submitting and obeying and walking in the way will gain you understanding of the kingdom of God. Disciples were walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, saying, yes, I believe. I don't understand exactly. It's crazy, but where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. And over time, these same people who were pretty pathetic in their own right when they were on earth and trying to bumble turn the world around and you look at those 12 and the others who were in the upper room, they changed the world. I mean, look, we are fruit of what happened and you can change your world if you walk in his ways. And if you just say, Lord, I I submit, I'll believe and I'll obey. Finally, and this isn't the last word on this, and we'll talk more as we go into other parables about some of the things we get, but this is the last thing I want to say is it's the written word and Jesus' word of God are, are two sides of the same coin. The Holy Spirit's role, one of his roles, is to teach us. John 13, he's come to teach you what the Lord says and to give you wisdom. Not every teaching you hear is right. Even from this pulpit, sorry, I am human. And sometimes I'm going to say things that I lo- I'm going to look at later and thank you. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us discern truth. That's why we're supposed to study for ourselves. That's why we're supposed to look. I'm doing my best. I'm not saying I'm going to give you stuff that I know is wrong. but I'm every, every, And every teacher, every teacher is going to do the same so that we have to plead, Lord, Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the knowledge of truth. It's not intellectually discerned. It's spiritually discerned. Use my intellect. Right? There's that song. Use my intellect, O Lord. Right? Every power, everything, Lord, take this mind. Make it yours. Take my silver and my gold. Not a thing I withhold. Take these things, Lord. Take these things.
believe, submit, ask the Holy Spirit's guidance, and then study the Word with humility and discipline. Long time, long walk in the same direction. And one day you wake up and you think, that mystery, that thing I couldn't understand, like I just, uh, wow. It's like that song. I get it. I get it. And you probably have gotten 1%. We're going to wake up one day with the Lord. You're going to see him face to face in your resurrected body. If you've been faithful, if you're one of his. And all those and everything you're going to say, how could I not have seen? How much my Savior loved me. How could I not have known this? Why in the heck did I worry so much about so little? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the patience of those here and watching on Facebook Live or in the gathering place as I try to put into words what's a mystery to me. And I I know, Lord, I confess, I, I know so little. Lord, but you spoke and said these are great mysteries, and yet they're given for disciples. They're, it's a mystery to be understood as we walk with you, as we as we know you, Lord, would you open our eyes to see life as you see it? Lord, we pray for those that we love. Right now, I just want to pray specifically for our children, our spouses, our parents, our siblings, our dear friends who we know don't get it. They're on one of the other paths and their, their hearts aren't fertile soil. Lord, give us patience to pray and to love. And Lord, if we know our hearts aren't fertile soil and your word comes in, but we don't love it, we don't really care, we know deep down that it's not bearing fruit, that that little seed is not finding a home and is not producing. Would you please tear up the fallow ground, do what you have to do in our hearts to make us receptive to your word. Lord, more than anything else, we need to be have the soft hearts that when your word deeply implanted begins in its miraculous quiet way to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Lord, what a great, great thing, not by our efforts, but by your spirit, says the Lord. So build your kingdom in us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just stand with me as we close.